We are halfway through our series in Revelation, looking at the seven churches that God had a message for. As relevant as they were for those churches at the time, they are relevant for us today. Do you believe that no matter how much changes, things tend to stay exactly the same. We keep recycling the exact same problems and God continues to provide the solutions every time. We're gonna be looking at church number five. You wanna give somebody a, a high five next to you? If you're close enough, reach around. High five, number five, church number five. The church is Sardis, not Sardines, uh, but Sardis. Sardis was uh, a hilltop city, 1,500 feet up, secure and they could see their enemies coming from miles away and God has a warning to the church in this area that that leans on false securities and if we we're going to title this letter to the church that John the apostle John received as he received his vision from God as he was exiled left to die on the island of Patmos God visits him and shows him this particular need in Sardis, he would have written, Dear Spiritually Dead Church. Dear Spiritually Dead Church. And do you believe that we are just one generation away from dying out? That as believers that we are called to pass the baton, to pass on the faith, to stand firm. And each one of these churches that we've looked at have had their own issues to address and maybe this is the most serious of them yet and so here's a question are you alive in the spirit are you experiencing anything that would be supernatural we're not talking about spooky stuff we're talking about power from heaven that is in you through you that you can't explain things that are happening that you are not the person that you used to be, that God is in the business of changing people and you are personally experiencing change. Well, how, how would you know that you have the power of God at work in your life? Well, I think in your outline, you, you got a few things that would evidence the blessings of the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, if you're a Christian, not assuming everybody here is, but if you are a believer, you have all of the Holy Spirit that you will ever need in you and he is always at work and here's just a few ways that he's at work blessings of being filled with the holy spirit as we get started here if you are filled with the spirit what you're experiencing is greater love and intimacy with god you're experiencing exaltation of jesus as the king he's the boss he's your rescuer he's your lord and savior and you want to lift him high if you are experiencing power it's gonna to lead to boldness for witnessing and discipling other believers. If you are filled with the Spirit, you're gonna be increasing with wisdom and with faith. Are you experiencing those things? How about this? Genuine joy that leads to gratitude and singing. You, you once used to be ungrateful, complaining, nagging, critical all the time, and then more and more that you say yes to the Holy Spirit, you find yourself, thank you, thank you, I'm so grateful. I, I'm not entitled. I don't demand. I used to not sing ever. Hate singing. And now I just can't help it. I just, I just come to church and I'm like, I want to sing with these people. These are my people. There's greater joy rising up. Is that you? How about engagement of spiritual gifts for regular ministry service? 
I used to not care about people, now I care about them. I used to think I didn't have anything to offer, and then pretty soon I'm finding out that if the Holy Spirit's in me, he's working through me because he's giving me gifts that I didn't have before I became a Christian, and now I'm exercising those gifts and I'm growing in service. How about victory over sin and temptation? I love that we are a church that has more and more stories of I used to give in and I used to give in and I didn't see a problem with it and now I'm fighting, I'm resisting, I'm winning, I'm overcoming, I'm victorious. Guess what? That's not you. It's not you, bro. It's not you. Guess who it is? Holy Spirit in you. That's what the Spirit of God does. How about power in prayer and supernatural results? Some of the saddest testimonies are I've been a Christian my whole life and God has never answered a prayer and I would just say, I don't know if you're a Christian. Because God hears his children and he answers. Are you praying, desiring to pray more and more? How about this humble confidence when faced with opposition? Trials are coming, problems are coming. But what is happening is I'm staying humble. I'm not arrogant and fighting. Instead, I am humbly confident that God has this. How about deeper trust in the Bible as the literal words of God? Nobody comes into this world believing that God wrote a book and every word is inspired by God, breathed out by God. Nobody believes that. But then the Holy Spirit comes in and pretty soon there's confidence that's rising. That It's like, it's like this book knows me. It's like it's exposing everything in me. It, it's actually correcting me in areas that I didn't even know I needed to be corrected. And it's revealing to me things that I didn't see before. And pretty soon my eyes are open to truths that I used to reject. And now I embrace them and I have confidence in my God that he's speaking. When he speaks, I believe what he says. How about renewed urgency to reach the lost and those that are straying? I don't know what your family dynamics look like or your close friend network, but is there a desire to see that they don't perish, that they don't spend eternity apart from God in a literal hell, and you are burdened about that? Is that rising up in you of, I need to pray, I need to go, I need to speak, I need to proclaim, I don't care if I'm rejected, There is a message that saves and rescues, and they need it. There are people that have grown up in church, and they've wandered, and you're like, not on my watch. I want to bring them in. I want to bring them home. I want to bring them back. I want to bring the wanderer back where he belongs in God's house. Is that desire rising up in you more and more? How about this? Fresh love, excuse me, fresh love for Jesus and others. Is there a love that is growing? that is deepening? Is there a desire to love God more, to obey Jesus in greater ways, more intentionality about loving people? Some of our stories are, I didn't like people. I don't like people at all. And now I can't help but speak to them, get to know them, reach into their lives, spend time with people that even used to annoy me and I used to avoid. And now God's given me desires to get to know them and love them and meet them right where they're at. That's the power of the Spirit. So I would ask, are you spiritually alive? Because as we read through that, if you shook your head to almost every single one of those, there is a letter in Revelation 3 that might be for you. And today might be the day where God brings dead things back to life. As we look at Revelation 3, 1 through 6, and we're looking at, in a sense, two different teams, two categories that Jesus is addressing. One church, everybody say one church, two teams, okay? He's addressing one church in one city, but he's saying, 
a whole lot of you are on one side and there's a few of you on another and we got to talk. We got to get honest about where each are at. And here's, here's where we're going to start. I am the church and if I'm not spiritually alive, we are dead. If I'm the church and I'm not spiritually alive, what's the impact? We are dead or we are dying on our way there. So which team am I on? Am I alive? Am I alive? Is there evidence of spiritual life? Or am I dead? And here's here's team number one, if you're taking notes. We got team zombie. Team zombie. Team what? Yes, our first Z. Team zombie. Do I appear to be alive, but I'm actually dead? Am I Am I one of the walking dead? Well, it kind of looks like there's life, kind of has the appearance of life. Which team am I on? Am I on team zombie? Am I a zombie going through the motions, but nothing happening on the inside? Here's what verse one says. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I figured, can we, can we pause? Somebody say pause. Okay, Isaiah eleven twelve helps us clarify, okay? If you want to just jot that down. Just getting started. We don't want to move beyond unless we have some understanding here. Isaiah eleven two refers to the Holy Spirit as a sevenfold description from the Old Testament prophesying that God's Spirit's going to come. What is God's Spirit? What is he going to be like? What is he going to do? It says this. Isaiah says, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Somebody say Jesus. It's coming a day where The Spirit of God is going to arrive. What is he like? Well, he's the Lord, the Lord, the Spirit. He is God, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of power, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The prophecy is that the Messiah would be empowered by not seven individual spirits. Somebody say, not that. it's It's not that. We're not talking about that. We're talking about seven description seven ways in which one spirit the holy spirit he is a he he is not an it he is not a force he is not a power he is a person and he works in several different ways and we see just a few as we get started in verse one and what does he say i know your works i know your works throughout the series we've been talking about this aspect of god that god sees that god knows And knowing and seeing that should bring both terror and great comfort. Because for some of us, we rejoice that God is aware of everything we're going through, all the ways that we've been treated, all of the wrongs, all the hurts, all the betrayals. He sees it. He sees all the things that should have happened that we should have received and did not, all the ways that people have treated us, and it was evil and it was wrong, and we say, God, thank you that you see and that you know. And on the other side, God sees everything in secret and we can't cover up, we can't pretend. And there should be sobriety, there should be a sober-mindedness about the fact that I can't hide from God, that he sees. He says, I know your works. Church in Sardis, I know your works. What, What do the people around town say about the church? What's their reputation? You have the reputation of being alive somebody say alive that's what people would say that's what people would say that that's what people see that's what that's what the town folk be talking about 
is that they see that there is a reputation of life. What's going on in that church? There's people there. There's cars there. There's ministries going on. I hear that there's something going on on a Wednesday night, and there's food going on. There's ministries. There's outreach. They're very warm and welcoming. There's activity. There's life. Somebody say, but you're dead. People see the outside. God sees everything. You're dead. Jesus has so many rebukes. He corrects along the way the different churches. It's fascinating here that he doesn't mention heresy. He's not saying, like other churches, you're, you're the church that, that kind of went left when you should have taken a right. You're the one that kind of compromised when you should have held to the truth. That's not their problem. Not false teaching. He doesn't even mention persecution. He doesn't say the problem is they are suffering for righteousness sake. They're doing the right thing and they are getting heckled and attacked and abused and wronged. That's not happening at the church here. Not that. It's not that. Here's what's happening. They are their own worst enemies. It's cancer within. It's not the things happening on the outside. And it seems to be the majority and I wonder, any given generation, any given church, any point in the history of any God gathering where God's people meet, we're susceptible to this. Good reputation, good things happening, death. They can't blame suffering. They can't blame persecution. They can't blame poverty. They have no one to blame but themselves. And this is just so painful because here's the reality. They know and they don't care. There's apathy and indifference and they're indifferent to their indifference. We've always done it. We've always done it this way. Big deal. I mean, what, what's the big deal? Why should we do anything new? Why should we do anything different? We just, this is what we do. We do the church thing. We just kind of show up on Sunday. That, that's good enough for me. It should be good enough for God. And God says, you're dead. And it's a problem. There's activity on the outside, but there's no life within. In the U.S., more than 4,000 churches close down every single year. The church in Sardis that was already dying, we have confirmation that they did indeed die the doors closed the lampstand snuffed out there is no church anywhere near where that city was at this point in turkey we mentioned the fact that there are less than 4000 believers in all of turkey modern day turkey and they have 74 million people they are the least churched country in the world and this is where the church began so it doesn't matter how you start, it really matters how you finish. And it doesn't matter if you see some signs of death as long as you move with urgency to fix the problem. And the only problem is that the church in Sardis had no motivation to get up and do anything about their apathy and their indifference. And here's, here's what he calls the church to do. Here we go. If you're taking notes, jot this down. We need to wake up we need to wake up somebody say wake up i i don't know about you but over time it's pretty easy if you're hanging out in the church Ugh, yeah sermons <laughs> i'd rather be sleeping 
So over time, we just get comfortable in the church. I don't know about you, but I just, I really like my spot and I get comfy there. And I kind of serve in my little area and I got real comfy. I didn't do anything else. Don't ask me, ask somebody else. Ugh, I just, I, I kind of want to just be comfortable. And uh, God would say, wake up! It's gotta change, otherwise we die. When we don't just wake up, he says this. What does he say? Wake up and strengthen what remains. Do you believe there's a remnant? Do you believe that there is at least one? Do you believe that there's at least a few in any given church? Have you walked into a church where you know that they're dead? And do you believe there's at least one person that has a spiritual pulse? Do you believe that there's a few? We call that the remnant. Throughout the whole Bible, there's always been a remnant. There's been a few. Even if the majority have all gone wayward, there's still somebody that stands for the truth. And he says this, strengthen, bring strength. If there's any life left, oh, if there's any remains, and it's about to die, it's about to. Somebody say, about to. It's about to die. It's about to die. That's where we're headed. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. There is work to do, and you have been lulled asleep by religious lullabies of listening to what you want to hear and doing what you only want to do, and we fall asleep. And he says, wake up, wake up, church. I'm fine. I'm going to heaven. Maybe our confidence that we're Christians and that we're going to heaven is a false confidence if we're sleepwalking as zombies through our so-called Christian life. Maybe we don't have the Spirit of God in us. Maybe we made a decision we had a momentary emotion. We went forward, given the elbow, given the nudge. Maybe you should get baptized. Maybe you should go forward. Maybe you should sign a card. Maybe you should rededicate, 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 rededicate. And maybe you don't need to rededicate. You need to get saved because there's no spiritual life. And if you fall asleep, the end of it is dead. He says, wake up, wake up. Not only that, he says, sit up, sit up. Remember, somebody say remember. Remember, I have not found your works complete. Remember then, remember then what you received and heard. <laughs> He's so passionate that you've been around church and you've read some of the Bible and you've had people speak to you. And the reality is you have forgotten all that you've been taught. Can we have a moment of honesty in God's house? The longer we're in the church, the longer that we are here, the more truth that we hear, the more that we are tempted to fall asleep because we forget what we have heard. I already know that. Ugh. Yeah, heard it before. Can you do something a little, a little more exciting? Huh? Can you, can you help? Give me a pep talk. I need some motivational speakers in the house. I don't need more blah, blah, blah. God says the Bible, blah. I already know. I already know. I already know. And he's saying, but you forgot because you're not living it. You're choosing to reject what you've already received. Every time someone speaks the word to you, you go, I know, but my situation's different. I know it says that, but my interpretation is different. I know it says that, but I'm sick of people pressuring me to live it. God has spoken so that we would obey it, not consider it, not think about his word, but we would submit to it, that we would be followers. We wouldn't be contemplators of truth. Well, think about it. You know that your lifestyle doesn't match up with a follower of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, I, I've been thinking about that. And when I'm ready, maybe I'll revisit that. And he says, you're not gonna have much time left because you may be too far gone. There may not be a spiritual pulse. You don't have to just wake up. You have to sit up, pay attention, and remember. And lastly, if you want to jot this down, we need to fess up. Today might be the day to fess up, fess up, get honest. And he says this, verse three, keep it, keep it, obey it, pay attention to it, remember it, and 
and hold on to it. Don't forget it. Live it. And here's the key word. And all throughout the series, we've been saying this. If we could summarize all of Revelation 2 and 3, repent, repent, repent. Turn to your neighbor and say, repent, repent. You're going this way. You're living a certain way. You have fallen asleep. You are bored by the Bible. You don't desire to follow God. And he says, repent, turn around, head the other way, go back to where you started. You don't need something different. You need more of the exact same life-giving truth and power of God. You left, you departed, you fell asleep. And he's saying it's time to get honest. It's time to confess and agree with God. Church, pay attention to this. If you will not wake up, do you see it there? If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. This is Jesus. I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you somebody say ouch but god i thought we were good right because i kind of like you know i i I prayed the prayer right the like the the sinner's prayer thing i kind of did that and i wonder if we would be reminded of matthew 7 that there's going to be many on that day lord lord I mean, like we we were doing this thing we had a thing right like we were doing the ministry thing and i I was kind of doing the church thing Depart from me. I never knew you. He's going to come against, not against his true church. He's going to come against the poser church. He's going to come against the zombie church. He's going to come against the zombie, dead, religious, no heart, no Holy Spirit, faux church. And there's correction. Sardis had such a large number of worshipers. I mean, this was a place, think about it. There was a, a, a massive shrine to artemis somebody somebody ask who's artemis i'm glad you asked thank you so everybody knows zeus oh yeah 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 so greek gods of the day every city kind of had their fave artemis was the daughter of zeus and was uh, the goddess of nature of hunting of all things green and so today i mean that's totally irrelevant right there's nobody that like worships animals today do we have any of that oh, oh yeah we do yeah uh those that are are willing for people to die to save puppies do we have any is there anything going on like that any any idol worship of of the earth and and creation everywhere we turn because the more things change the more they stay exactly the same artemis goddess of of nature of war and here we have passionate passionate zealous worshipers of Artemis everywhere. They were willing to sacrifice. They were willing to give. They were willing to do whatever it, it, it took to make sure that they were committed all in. And guess what happened? Pretty soon there was just a little dwindling remnant of a so-called church in that town surrounded with passionate and dedicated worshipers of Satan. God's people falling asleep. Satan worshipers fired up more than ever stoke in the fire and what did god's people think about what they saw i don't know it doesn't affect me i'm I'm just trying to get by just need a little bit more money you need to pay the bills i just need a nicer car you need a better job you know what i mean i'm looking at retirement looking at the house while satan is dominating everywhere the church is falling asleep and god had something to say about it he was pretty passionate and here's our our first group the zombie group we will have a funeral or revival you choose as a church 
we're going to have a funeral or revival. We're not going to have both. It's our choice. Now more than ever, we need to expect revival. Anybody expecting it? Anybody expecting that? Like, God is greater than the darkness that's coming against us. God is greater than even all the mess that I am. And God's going to help me to overcome and be a conqueror. And that to move forward, I can be part of the solution, not just part of the problem. If we're not expecting revival, why don't we go ahead and start the funeral arrangements now? If we're not expecting that God's going to show up and break through and bring supernatural power and that he's going to move, if we don't believe that, then let's close the doors. Let's call the funeral homes and compare prices. Why don't we just do that now? Because we're going to go the way of Sardis if we are not expecting that even a few, do you believe that God works with a few? Do you believe that God does great things with a few? Do you believe that this book <laughs> is, a, is a history book about what a great God can do with a few little people, if they're faithful, if they're alive, if they have spiritual life, if they actually believe in his promises, that God does great things. But the warning today would be pillow equals casket. If we fall asleep, it's the pathway of death. That's where it's headed. And he says, repent, repent. This is the good news. The good news is you don't have to stay there. You don't have to continue on that way. You can be different. You can go in a different way. By the power of the Holy Spirit, there can be a change mind, change heart. Do you believe that God does that? He is at work changing lives, changing churches. How about this? Number two, en enough of the zombie. All right, somebody say enough of that. Not only is he talking to the majority group saying, you are the walking dead, even though there's an appearance, a facade, that there's life, there's actual death inside. But he does speak as he did before. He just had a little hint of that remnant, a little bit remaining. Here's such good news. Verses four and five. Here's team two. Number two, team zeal. Team zeal. Not zombie, but zeal. Not zombie, but zeal. Do I have spiritual life and will walk into glory? Is that my destiny that I know I'm gonna walk into glory? I know that for a short time, I'm gonna be here doing this work. I'm gonna be following my God. I'm gonna be obedient to the Spirit's conviction and prompting and leading. And he says in verse four that there's, there's still a few. There's still a few. I don't know if within your, within your family, extended family, I don't know, at your workplace, if you feel, I'm the only one, I'm the only one, I'm the only one. God has a way of working with the few, even the one that says, I'm going to take a stand. I'm not going to give in. I, I'm not going to go with the flow. I'm not going to be on the lazy river coasting down with everybody else. I'm going to be one of the few. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis. God does so much with a few, right? Church, church. No matter how hard it gets in your family, at your workplace, even in your community, our communities, that if there's life, if there's any life left, if there's wherever there's life, there's always hope. There's always hope. If the, if the light hasn't gone out, there's always hope for the fire to crank back up. Do you believe it? That there is hope for a future that is so different than here. Even if it's a flicker, the flame can become a reality once again. The faithful few, what does it say? Few people who have not soiled their garments. There's an image for us, right? There's a few people among the church and they don't smell like the poo of the world. They haven't soiled their garments. They don't look or smell or act like the world. They have not been tainted. They have not been persuaded. They have not been sucked and lured in. The imagery of dirty garments is 
a life of sin, a life of participating in sin, of joining in instead of standing for God, going with the desires. And he says, there's a few who haven't done that. Church, listen up, listen up. They will walk with me in white. They will walk with me. Somebody say with me. If you are a follower of Jesus, that God is, he's with you. That when Jesus came and he chose his 12, Mark 3 tells us this, that he chose them that they would be with him. And then he would send them out. I don't know what kind of God you have in your mind, what, what kind of imagination that you have. If you don't believe that there is a real, powerful, mighty God that walks with his people closely, then I don't, I don't know what God you're worshiping. God is not far off. He is not distant. He is near. Every Christmas, we're reminded of what? Emmanuel, that God is, he's with us. He's with us walking. He's walking. We're, we're going through the day. We're going through life, and we're walking. And what are we wearing? We're wearing white, white garments, not polluted, instead distinct and clean. Can, can I ask you this? How in the world did you get bleach, white, pure garments? Where'd that come from? If you're walking with God and there is a purity and holiness, how did that happen? And there's one beautiful word, forgiveness. Forgiveness. If you're a Christian today, I don't know when the last time somebody reminded you, you've been forgiven. If you've walked in this morning with shame and with guilt, so many doubts and questions, if you know God personally, if you have repented and turned from your sin and embraced Christ by faith, he's the one that dresses you in white. You know what? One of the most awesome things that I get to do is to do weddings where we get to talk about white garments because the white dress is brought up. I don't know the last time that, that you had somebody that soaked their their white wedding dress in, in goat blood or something like that and said, man, I can't wait to marry my husband and like let's do this in public. There's something symbolic about the white dress. And here's the other reality. Every bride that walks the aisle is a wicked sinner stained by the world. And if they know Jesus, they get, they get to walk knowing what I'm wearing today is nothing compared to what Jesus has put on me because it doesn't matter where I've been. It doesn't matter what I've done. I know that I am made clean and pure and holy. God loves imagery. He loves for us to see it so vividly that we walk closely with him. And as we do, that we are not who we used to be. We're not the things that we've done. We are not just a complete addition and categorically that we are our biggest mistake. We're not that. Turn your name and say, not that. That's not who we are. That is really good news. And for those of us in God's house that can maybe get a little bit more honest than others, we have done some really regretful things. We have done some things. We have gone some places. We have made some decisions. And Jesus walks with those who turn from that and turn to him. White, made white, made pure, totally forgiven. And I love it. Where are we going to walk? Where are we going to walk, Jesus? If we're walking together, where are we going to walk? Well, he says they are worthy only because I've made them worthy. Nobody is worthy of forgiveness. We confess that he is the one who does what? Verse 5. Are you there? He's the one who conquers. 
He's the one who overcomes that will be clothed with those white garments. The one who is saved and forgiven, what's the future that you have, Christian? What does your future look like? Instead of looking in the rearview mirror and one of the good old days are gone and only if I could just go back and I could relive them and why is life so hard? It used to be so different. The one who conquers will be clothed in these white garments. He's talking about your life is going to be marked by victory. Your life is going to be marked by progress and growth and transformation. No matter what opposes, you're going to be able to overcome. Why? Because you're awesome. Are you awesome? Oh, here's some bad news. In order for us to embrace the good news, we, we need some bad news. Here's the bad news. You're not awesome. Nobody thinks you're awesome. You think you're way too awesome. You're not awesome. The reality is Jesus is awesome. And if you're with him, he is demanding of our lives. <laughs> Stay with me. And if you're with me, we're overcoming. If you're with me, we are going places. God, remind me of where I've been. Remind me of the battles that have been fought and you won. You won them for me. It wasn't me, it was you. When I was weak, you were strong. When I was unfaithful, you were still faithful. And this is our God. If we're on team zeal, there is changes. Maybe you're not feeling it. Maybe you're not seeing it. But over time, when you're staying on the course and you are with the one who conquers, you become the one who conquers, that overcomes opposition. And he says this, I will never blot his name. I will never blot her name out of the book of life. Do you believe your salvation is secure? If you are in the book, you are not going to be crossed out. You are not going to be erased. I don't know where you've been with thinking about your salvation, but I do believe where there's about to be victory, there is so much doubt. And there's so many questions. Am I really saved? If I just did that, am I really saved? Can I really be a Christian if I just screwed up that bad? Man, this past year, like, man, the thing, my attitude, the things I did, can I really be a Christian? I love it. I love it. You've heard the phrase, maybe once saved, always saved. Anybody hear that? Once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. From 1 John and from John's writing in Revelation, once saved, always repenting. Once saved, always repenting. I'm going to blow it. I'm going to mess up. And I, no, that's not who I am anymore. I'm not going back to that. I'm moving forward. I'm not going to go back. I can't stay stuck. Is your name in the book? Is your name in the book? Do you have full confidence? I know he's with me. I know I'm going to dip into the valleys. I know there's going to be dryness, but dryness is very different than death. He's talking to a church, not that's just struggling through. I'm stumbling. I'm tripping up. I made some mistakes. They have fallen asleep and will not listen. They have hardened their heart. They're not in the book, even though they're religious and they show up to gatherings. I just love this. I will confess his name before my father. Do you love that? God says, I will confess his name. Jesus is so committed before angels and before his father. He's with me. She's with me. I did the work. We know each other. She's in. He's in. Not based on works, not based on any kind of performance review because of shed blood, because of suffering, because of the absorbing of the wrath of the Father. Jesus stands up and says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to call them my followers. He's like, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. They are with me. Somebody say, land the plane. Here we go. Three verses. If you want to jot these down, if you want to write these on three by five cards today, if you are in team zeal and you have a passion for God and you desire to know him and to know who you are in him, knowing that he's not ashamed, here are three scriptures for the week. Luke 9, 26, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the father and of the holy 
angels. How about this? Hebrews eleven sixteen. But as it is, but as it is, they desire a better country. Do you, do you desire it? I know this isn't my home. I desire something better, something permanent, something more. Those that desire a better country, a heavenly one, God is not ashamed to be called their God. God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. Do you believe God has a place prepared for you? And that he's not ashamed. And that when he clothes you in white, that he is able to cover every stain. And that he's not ashamed to say, I'm, I'm with them. He's not with the dead, faux religious church. He's with the remnant. Even if it's a few in the midst of the darkness, all the opposition, he says, I'm not ashamed. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of it. It's the power of God for salvation everyone who believes. To the Jew first, then to the Greek. I'm not ashamed. Why? I'm not ashamed of the gospel because that's the only path to life. That's the only hope in this life and the next. And when God looks at his kids, when the, the deal is done, when he has sealed us with the Holy Spirit, that for the rest of our days, he said, I'm not ashamed of you. I am with you. I am for you. Even if everybody else is against. Even if everybody else is against, I am for you. One church, two teams. Team Zombie with the facade, with the appearance of life, even so much so that the community is convinced that there's life going on and God knows better. They're dead. They're fakes. They're imposters. And I would just ask, is that you? Only you would know. You can fool the community. You can fool your church family. You can do the show. You can perform the ways. You can learn Christianese. We can speak the language. We can dress the part. But deep down, I wonder if you'd say, there's no life going on. I'm not changing. I'm not different. I'm just like the world. And God knows and God sees. And today he would say, repent. It's not too late. It's not too late. Turn. And if you're on team zeal and you're discouraged, what if today, if you are with Jesus, you need to know who you are in him. That you've been purified, that you are cleansed, that you're forgiven. You're forgiven. You've been forgiven to live a forgiven life of forgiving others. You have been cleansed so that you can live a pure life, not going back to the old. You don't have to live that way anymore. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. If you're on Team Zeal and not on Team Zombie, there's hope. Even if there's a little bit of life, there's hope. 